Blog Talk Radio. Hey, so it's Mike Vandervoort, and we are doing a ho 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 host show today. So I've got all my co-hosts here. Robin and Dwayne and Crystal for the first time in a long time, and we're jumping on to do one last episode of Drive Through HR this year. So, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and all that stuff, you guys. How are you? Happy Holidays to you too. Doing great. Thanks, Michael. Thanks. This is like that time the Beatles got back together on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> So, so that's that's a cool thing to talk about. Actually, not Saturday Night Live with the Beatles, but did you guys watch the the documentary about the Beatles that that was on Disney Plus or it's out there now called Get Back? Have you seen that? Not yet, but it's on my. I list. have not. No. Yeah, it, I've watched two, two thirds of it, and it, it's you know it's it's. Uh, it's really, really interesting. It's like, it's, it's really cool. But, it, it, you know, there are some slow times, you know, as any documentary has, but it's really cool. So, yeah, since you haven't checked it out, you should, uh, you should make an effort to, to do that over the holidays. It's, it's a, it, I got to watch the last two-hour show where they do their rooftop concert. Um, but it's, it's really, really interesting from watching a creative process and how, you know, the, the, the idea that Yoko busted up the – and there's a bunch of stuff that – at least according to this documentary, didn't happen at all the way we've always heard it. So I thought it was really, really cool to kind of look back. But anyway, that was my, yeah, that's my, that's my, my, my uh, holiday watching thing outside of going to see the Matrix and uh, the King, King's Man here over the holidays as well. So I got a few plans. Yeah, that was but, anyway. yeah. yeah that was so, now, does that mean that okay. you've already seen Spider-Man? I have. Okay. And, no spoilers, but it was awesome. And of it course, was. it uh, it uh, it blew up the box office for the first time forever. It's the first time I've been in a movie theater in a year where uh, all the seats were full. And, wow! Uh, that was yeah. They had well, they yeah. had some socially distanced seats, but it, it yeah, it's been like normally you can go in there and kind of stretch out, you know. Uh, but it was it was packed, and and fans clapped at the end, and yeah, it was it was a good it was a good movie. So. But no spoilers. So we went to go see it. So we went to go see it. I think it was like the night before last. And Mm -hmm. again, no social distancing. But there was a couple things that I thought was interesting. In the theater that we saw it with Marcus, um, vaccinations were required, not for all movies, but for Spider-Man and one other one. They didn't have any. Yeah. So there was that piece. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. They didn't have any social distancing though, like in between seats, and it was the um, the what is it, dining seats or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like seats, one foot space, seat, maybe not even one foot um, space, and then another seat. So you know, me being extra because we all know the four of us, I'm the extra in the group, right? Um, <laughs> so so I was like, okay, well I'm gonna make six feet of space. So I bought twelve seats to be able to ensure that we had all of that space. And uh, my daughters were like, do you feel guilty? Like somebody's not going to be able to see this, this show. And I was like, well, A, we bought last minute tickets. So if they were going to, they probably would have, but B, you know, no, because I don't want to get sick. You know, I want to see the show, but I want to do it safely. Um, 
So I don't know. Like there was, we we had some family conversation about like was that a little too extra or not. I'm okay with it, but what do y'all think? Like how comfortable are you going back into theaters and just out in the world in general with all the on? Robin. Yeah, I mean, um, I well. I haven't been farther away than an hour from home since last summer. So, because I flew in the midst of the pandemic, but I haven't I haven't gone anywhere since then. Um, and it's you know it's been fairly normal, certainly in Baton Rouge, because you know half uh, three quarters of our population are still of the mind that you know the Rona doesn't exist here. But um, it's it's been fairly normal here. I mean. You know, the schoolings are fully vaxxed and boosted, so I've always felt, you know, personally comfortable. Um, you know, New Orleans is a little bit different. They've taken it a little more seriously. So when we've gone down there, um, there are places that require proof of vaccine and stuff. So, But I, I, I've felt okay going into those sorts of settings. And I've gone to a Saints game and stuff, and you had to show you were vaccinated. So... I've I've been I've been cool. I'm I'm yeah. kind of in the same place. Like we went, um, um, have been to the theater a few times. Have been out in restaurants, and and maybe it's you know we've been through the vaccinations and the boosters and feeling pretty confident that we're we're, we're safe enough from all that. Um, there are I, I will admit I we were in public without a mask. Um, and it's, it, I, I still go back to, and I think I said this the last time we all get together, like it's such a small thing to do to keep other people safe. And the people who are self sorry for anybody who's listening that, that this uh, may trigger. Um, yeah, fair enough. I don't, I, I think we'll probably save here, but, but people who aren't willing to do just the smallest thing to keep themselves and other people safe, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Uh, and I certainly don't understand the, the, uh, the level of vitriol that those people have for the ones who do wear masks and who do take those steps. Um, yeah. So, and the, and now the selective, the selective application of my body, my choice um, to now just apply to vaccines, but not to anything else. Like, again, it's, there's so many levels of hypocrisy that I think we've uncovered in our society. Like it really, to me, has just shown that people are just going to do whatever the hell they want and then use whatever they can find to justify it. So in other words, people are going to be the way people have always been. I, I guess. I don't know if people have always been that way. I don't actually, I don't think people have always been that way. I think we've got evidence in the past of people not being that way and being willing to make sacrifices for the greater good. And people seem less likely to do it now. Well, I think part of that is you've got to have something to rally around to begin with. Right. And so, and I, I think this is kind of a, you know, <laughs> a topic that, and a thought that works, whether you're in the workplace or outside of it, you know, if you want to have um, people, drive together towards something you have to first have leaders that will will push that you like that create that formation and we just you know i i think in the countries that have had it you see a better response rate in the countries that haven't you see that too well so i'm going to disagree with you a little bit i think we have had that unfortunately we've had leaders going in two different directions and one of those directions is don't get the vaccine don't believe in COVID. and Mm -hmm. and as leadership goes they've been pretty effective in getting people to follow that um the the footage that we saw this week of Trump and O'Reilly, like one of their little talking sessions that, that most people either don't know is happening or just don't care enough to show up, takes a lot of yeah. defeat. Um, Trump in there saying, 
you know, hey, I've got the vaccine and I got my booster and getting booed. Um, yeah. Like, it's, it's so hard when you've been so indoctrinated to admit that, oh, that wasn't actually true. Um, and, and now the guy that I was listening to tells me that he did all the things he told us were a bad idea. That is kind of fascinating. So. Well, and yesterday, Joe Biden gave a speech, and he actually gave – he threw some credit to Trump. The, he yep. said the previous administration developed – and Trump replied today with a sort of, it's hard to be negative, thanks for the credit. You know, So there was like a little – I don't want to say it was a kiss and make up moment, but that's like the first time we've seen anything like that happen since the change in, in – uh, President, you know, presidential administrations, yeah. right? There's been no, there's been no release, and it, and it's, I'm sure it's a bit of an, uh, of an anomaly, or, uh, you know, it won't last. But yeah, I, I mean, I live in the land of no masks here in Florida. You know, Ron DeSantis is trying to build a president. If, if Trump ultimately yeah. doesn't run, DeSantis is trying to build his, and, and it's working down here. I mean, it's, um, you know, he, he's got. He's he, they've passed laws and I mean I I don't mean to say it's working in terms of public health but it's working for DeSantis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he's really popular and um, I saw a poll today that said outside of Trump he's the leading candidate and, he, and Mike Pence is second yeah. trailing by like twenty two percent or something so I mean it's ridiculous yeah. but um well you know, the I, scary uh, part about that one is the next on the list is Don Trump Jr. so. Yeah, well, uh, good Lord. Um, unless they just like right. the name Donald <laughs> Trump. I mean, there's no way. That guy's such a – anyway, not going to go down the political road. Um, I did go – I went to uh, Massachusetts. I was up in Boston. I actually stayed in Cambridge, but a friend of mine and I spent the, uh, a long weekend in Boston, and, and then I went down to Provincetown for a couple of days after after uh, they, they left uh, on Sunday. And all throughout Massachusetts – and this is going back to end of October – um, they have a like if you wanted to get into uh, a music venue, you had to have your, you had to have your vac- vaccination card and show it. You didn't have to show it to get in restaurants, but if you were gathering anywhere like for entertainment, you mentioned New Orleans, rather it was it's like any place mm-hmm. in Cambridge that had a band, you had to have your vax card. And I went to check into this uh, beachfront resort in Provincetown, and they were like, uh, "Do you have your vaccination card?" And I was like, "I, I did." I didn't realize that they required it for the, for the hotel location as well, you know? So yeah. it was, so it wasn't universal, but it was, some of it was by order of the governor or the mayor or whatever of the, of the cities, I guess. And then some of it was choice of the venue and they were taking a mm-hmm. different approach there def- in Massachusetts, you know, which is obviously much more liberal and small than they, they were down here in the South. So it's, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. Um, for the most part, I've been kind of operating like I still live in the real world. I, I mean, I go out and, you know, I try to be prudent and I try not to sit next to people, you know, like right in their lap or anything. But I haven't, you know, throughout the pandemic, I traveled and, you know, went went to places when they were open and, you know, kind of kind of have been just trying to be, you know, smart, but not not locked in my house. So. It's yeah. been it's been interesting, but I do still every now and then go like, man, I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, you know. But it's just kind of like I can't stay home every night, so I, I guess yeah. you know uh, we're we're stuck with it now uh, for the time being. So anyway, all right, something other Can I than travel COVID? and get on planes and do all the things that <laughs> one is want to do when you know yep. you when you work in a, a world that requires travel for a living, but um. But wherever I can, I try to social distance, like things like I'm going to buy extra seats to make sure that there are space around me so that I'm not sitting next to strangers where I yeah. can. And, and, and to answer, actually, 
to actually answer your original question, I don't think it was excessive. I mean, I don't need it because I sit by myself. But if it makes you feel comfortable and you can afford it, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with buying up extra seats. You didn't, you didn't, uh, you know, you didn't complain or ask people to be blocked from coming in the theater or relocated to another section. I mean, you just, you just took advantage and of I, your own personal uh, financial resources. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, and I didn't make the person do like somebody sat in one of the seats that we bought, and I was like, okay. Uh, technically, I bought that for a buffer, but it was like the last seat. There was definitely three feet from all of us. I just kind of left it alone. I was like, whatever, it's fine. But um, <laughs> but that being said, like where we can't is like the places like airlines and and whatnot. And that's um, that's been really interesting to me to watch both the entitlement from a, a consumer perspective and the the fatigue from an employment perspective. So mm-hmm. the number of yeah. people that are running onto planes with their mask under their nose and whatever that yeah. is a fun word, asshat is my name for the day for this guy that wore a thong, a yeah. thong as his mm-hmm. mask. Like, dude, you're just not a good person. Like, you're not making a point. No one looks at you and says, oh, my gosh, you're amazing. It's all like you're ridiculous and this is ridiculous. Like these are rules, but airline um, airline employees, particularly the pilots on the flights that I've been on, are just over it. And so, you know, mm-hmm. the, the flight attendants, at least on um, the flights that I've been on, haven't had to make like lots of announcements. It's been the pilots who have said like, "I will get off of this plane if you are not wearing masks." Yeah. Okay. You, you know, it's we we had a discussion at work the other day. We were talking about like you know the reported number of assaults on flight attendants and just general dis, you know, dis, uh, disregard for any sort of, you know, rule following on flights. And, yeah. you know, one of the guys I work with was like, is that real? Or is it, I mean, not that it, you know, not that these things aren't happening, but is it happening to the degree that it seems to happen? You know, and I, and, and like, I, like I said to him, I have to admit that when I've flown, I have yet to encounter, I mean, I've had people, you know, argue about masks or whatever, or refuse to put them up, but nobody went, you know, full on Karen or whatever, or beat up a flight attendant, right? So, it, so you know, and it kind of goes back to what you said a minute ago, Crystal, is some of this stuff just media noise? Or, I mean, I know it's happening, but is it like, are they isolated incidents that, that always happened anyway, in some way, and we just didn't hear about them until now? <laughs> Or is it is yeah. it a higher level of uh, you know nonconforming to the rules kind of thing, or you know, are people just that I, on I edge? Would, I can't tell. I would think it's I would think it probably is about the same percentage of people that because you know there are still people that go through TSA that pitch a fit, and we've been doing the right. TSA stuff for how long now? So it's probably the same percentage wise of people that still are. Oh, what do you mean I have to throw this bottle of you know, shampoo away. What? What? Right. You know, you see those right. people still every now and again. And, and you know, it's just the reason now is highlighted, you know. So, I mean, obviously somebody punching a flight attendant over whatever is going to make news. But I think the disruptive passengers, eh, I don't know, is probably the same percentage it's always been. It's just we're, we're tuned into their reasons now. So I think I think you're I think you're right. I agree with some of that. I I think that there's I can't say I think you're right. I think you're right about some of it. I think the the percentage of it 
is probably the same. The severity of it may differ a bit. Like when you look at it from yeah. a psychological perspective, you know, we've got more, and, I, and we were having a conversation with a client about this today, like we're bombarded with information, right? We're bombarded yeah. with bad news. And, and there was, I think, the balance of positive and negative news, like that ratio has shifted over the last few years which does impact us psychologically. Now, someone hitting a flight attendant, you're just, there's some mental illness going on there that makes you feel like that's an okay thing to do. Um, yeah. but, but that being said, like, I do think that we're probably a little shorter on our patients' levels as a society, a little, a little faster on our trigger fingers um, to not, I don't mean guns. I'm sorry, I just got to look for me. No, no, no. There wasn't but, look for that. But a little faster to respond before really thinking through the emotional response and the cost response for that emotion. So, so here's the, the reason I gave you that look. It was not because of the, the, the phrasing. Um, it, I have a slightly different take on it. Okay. I think that what the country, I'll just say with Trump as president, like I know we, we try to avoid going too political, but here's the deal. I think that Trump's candidacy and presidency made it okay for a certain segment of the population to come out and air out their nastiness and just be full on with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think these are people that I, I, I really think that there, there is a certain segment of the population that feels like I'm doing the right thing. And by being vocal about it, I can show everybody else how wrong this is. And when you've got a leader who's telling people that this is okay, and in fact, does it himself, like that's going to bring out another element of people in society, and I think that's a really big piece of it. Yeah, maybe I want to be normalized. I want. I mean, it's for sure, it's been normalized. I think it's bigger than Trump. Trump to me is a symptom of a larger issue, because I think you can look at Britain and they've got their own version of Trump with you know their prime minister. Um, yeah. So so anyway, I, like my point is, I think these leaders are symptoms of an underlying problem. Um, they're not the disease. And I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But they've they've made the expression of that problem normal. They've yeah. made it acceptable. They've made it mainstream. Like like making um, anger like normalizing outbursts of anger and wearing makeup. Those are the two things that Trump has done. popular opinion, I think it's actually social media. And this is a really weird thing for me to say, given how much of our income um, as a business comes in through social marketing. But, but the reality is when you look at the ability to post whatever, so you've got, let's, let's go down your road. You've got a leader, and I don't think it matters whether it's national or organizational, that, that has normalized a certain type of expression, right? A certain, a certain way of communicating, mm-hmm. cool to just live it out loud, mm-hmm. right? All right, so then that trickles down to the larger body of people that that leader is over, right? And now you've got this platform that allows for unprecedented reach, like reach mm-hmm. that we have, did not see growing up. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And I think that what that creates is that the social media platform and the extension of reach is, is really more to blame, if you will, more responsible for our acceptance and normalization of response because Trump, 
uh, Obama, Reagan, it doesn't matter. Like their, their platform is only as big as, you know, like TV for Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, Obama was in social media years, right? So he had that reach. But so, so yeah, they can only reach however many eyeballs are paying attention to them, mm-hmm. right? But then when you take that, that piece there, let's look at Obama and Trump mm-hmm. and whatever they say, and you take it and then amplify that out times, what, a dozen different social media platforms, billions of users. Like you're seeing these same things across platform. We know we need to see it five to seven times for it to have that stickiness. And so I, I think what's actually happening is that social media is cementing these Karen-esque, and Matt, is it Matt, the male version of Karen? Um, Matt-esque responses are okay, that these angry posts, and angry outbursts are okay, that aggression is the way to express your emotion. I honestly think it's social. So I have, I have two comments, and then I'm going to stop for a little bit and let everybody else talk. That's fair. Uh, number one, at the, at the risk of invoking Bill Cosby, this sounds very much like his joke about cocaine, where someone said, you should take cocaine. He said, why? He said, because it amplifies your personality. He said, okay, but what if you're an asshole? Yeah. And I think that's what we're talking about here. Like, yeah, it's amplification. And if you're an asshole, it amplifies that you're an asshole, right? However you want to look at that. Um, the other thing is I think that it's on some level we should all step back and say if we're going to assign blame for what's happened in society, we should point it at Joe Gerstant and Jason Lauritsen for all the times they've talked about letting your freak flag fly. <laughs> and that's what's happening, and this is where it's gotten us. So thanks, guys. <laughs> Happy holidays, you. Joe. Miss you and love you. Wherever you are, Joe is in Marfa, <laughs> Texas, or at least that's the last place I saw a picture. So, Jason, I, who knows? Uh, <laughs> nice segue to uh, nice segue to direct us slightly back to more HR-related topics, Dwayne. Um, You're welcome. So, so um, uh, my only comment, Robin, I'll ask if you have a final comment related to that. Mm-hmm. Is I, I, I feel like like the, the workforce and the population in general, are, like, I feel like we're all a bunch of sort of quasi-closeted PTSD cases waiting to happen. We all have our own little triggers that have been, you know, built up over the last couple of years. And then I think, Crystal, I think your comments, you know, are are certainly spot on in terms of, you know, that amplification effect. But, I, you know, I think we all have things that, that could make us snap in a second. We just don't all, all give in to the impulse, but I think people are listening to it or feeling it a lot more because of just life in general. So that's, that's my kind of quiet take. Robin, you got any last thought there? Yeah. Uh, God, to, to kind of put a bookend on Crystal's comments too, is like uh, we notice what happens when somebody goes off of social and while the amplification is still there, it's a lot less. Uh, unless you kind of go looking mm-hmm. for it, and that's uh, the former guy, right? You know, once he got off the mm-hmm. channels, you know, he he gets his message out, um, but uh, in a whole a much smaller audience. And uh, speaking of which, it'll be interesting to see. Wasn't his uh, social media sp- company supposed to start here soon? Anyway. Oh, they're worth they're 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 oh, billions. God, <laughs> yeah. They don't have a platform, but it's worth billions. Funded by it might, uh, right. or something. It's the best platform. Yeah. Everybody says so. That's right. Yeah. Well, the one Many thing people. that I would say to everyone, the one thing that I would say to everyone on this, like to Robin, like kind of piggybacking off of what Robin just said, 
Like that person can go away, but that person was funded by organizations. Like his campaign wasn't self-funded ever. So, you know, those organizations still exist. And I can tell you, this is not like a tinfoil hat conspiracy. This is real. You can look it up. There's hard data behind this where they're funneling their, their, their money now is into disinformation campaigns around health. And so you know, whenever you read anything, like this is our PS, my PSA, I won't, I won't rope you guys into it. Whenever you read anything on social media and, and on the internet at large, like you really need to look at cross-referencing their sources, like fact mm-hmm. check, mm-hmm. source check, cross-reference that and look at the veracity of the claims that are being made. And, you know, if it's on zergnet.info or whatever, Take it with a grain of salt. There might be something mm-hmm. there that's true, but it, it, it really goes down a lot. But that's where their money is being funneled now. Like, they can't do it with the orange guys, so we've moved to these other areas. And to me, that's much more dangerous because they've made it look much more real. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so be careful. Uh, awesome. So, so let's talk about somebody else that should have probably been fitted with a tinfoil hat but wasn't. Um, and I know this is this is slightly old news, and it's been way over discussed, but we haven't talked about it. And so that's the CEO at the real the realty company, Better. I guess his last name was oh Garg or something like that, who God, laid off 900 yes, people nice. on Zoom. <laughs> so let's let's do a quick round on that guy because he deserves to get hit about the head and shoulders uh, uh, a little bit okay, by us, and- I think. So. And then the next guy I want to hit is the CEO of Basecamp. But, yes, this guy is nuts. So do you want to start us off? Um, I, I'll defer to whoever wants to. Feel, feel free for somebody else to jump in. I mean, I, I, I mean obviously, he's a, a huge douche, and he's now on leave, which means he'll be fired if he hasn't already effectively been fired. But um, it, it's like, like he did everything that you could do wrong right? Almost everything, I guess, probably even more. Anyway, but I'd I'd be interested in your guys' opinions first, and then I'll bring it back. So I I would be really surprised if anybody was like, yep, this guy did it right, right? Like, I don't think any of us would say that. What I I do think is interesting is actually some of the, and not to take it back to our previous conversation, because it's not, but but I, I think culturally, we're in this really weird spot where we start looking at people's actions and assigning it to broader nationalities and cultures because a lot of the conversations I initially heard out of this is, oh, well, that's just Middle Eastern culture. Oh, that's just how they act over there. (laughs) What? (laughs) So these broad-based, like I'm laughing at embarrassment for the the people that said those kind of things. Um, These broad-based excusals of behavior or um, assigning of, of blame and responsibility of, of one individual's actions to a broader culture is insane to me. I do not, I don't understand it. Like, <laughs> this is one individual. How do, we, how do we then tie that back to a nationality? Like, anybody have any thoughts on that? Because I saw it a lot, and I was really surprised. That's funny. I didn't see like, that. I didn't that see that aspect. On. Yeah, I didn't see that aspect at all, which doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, I, just I didn't, didn't see it. Well, yeah, I believe it. It was a lot. It was in a lot of HR groups, and I was like, I, I don't understand this. <laughs> I just don't. Like, this is not. 
so we can agree then that an individual action like is the responsibility of that individual and we can't really yeah. say oh that's a cultural thing right that's not a free pass to do anything and also i think it's fair to the rest of the people in that culture Go ahead, Robin. The, the aspect of it that most surprised me, um, and, and being in the inner workings there would have probably been, you know, a fly on the wall would have been fascinating. Um, but, it, you know, obviously I think he just made this decision himself. This is what I'm going to do. Somebody set up the call. I'm going to be on it just got this, you know, whatever, billion dollars or whatever they had just gotten infused into the company. Um, but the thought process for somebody to go through and think, it obviously he didn't care to not realize that that Zoom meeting would be, would would go viral, you know. Everybody's going to see this, not just the 900 people on the call. This is going to go out there and, and to just not care. Um, it was just, that was just the most astonishing thing to me. I've, I've been at companies where, you know, you don't even, you know, where meetings have been recorded or virtual, but somebody verifies before they even go out to the rest of the company that there was nothing said that you don't want, you know, on the record kind of a thing. Um, so it's, it's just, that part was fascinating to me. Don't care if it goes out because whatever. Well, I mean, if you believe, if you believe the, um, I guess it's a saying, but the the information that's been put out that a significant percentage of CEOs are either narcissists or just display narcissistic traits, uh, narcissists tend to believe that their actions are infallible and right, right? So, yeah. you know, that guy probably felt like he wasn't doing anything wrong, therefore, it wouldn't matter. Everyone will understand what he's trying uh-huh. to do and agree with him, right? That's a that's a uh-huh. narcissistic response to that kind of scenario. And in fact, I think initially in one of the interviews that he did, he said something like, "I might have worded it different, but the sentiment was right." Right? Like he was still trying to justify the behavior. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and you know, like yeah, like I might have worded the fact that he told a bunch of people that they're laid off and then accused them of only working two hours a day. And I, I said I should we should have done this a long time ago. I mean, I mean, like he must he must certainly have written his own script because there it was very clear that no no media person or HR person <laughs> or, or if they did they they should be on sabbatical or whatever this guy's on as well. Yeah, it was. Um, I actually was kind of struck by a different angle, which is, which is, and it, it's kind of the counterpoint to our previous conversation about, you know, strife and, and, you know, discord in our society is that there were, a, I saw a bunch of people who did in the HR community, especially in the recruiting and talent side, who did some awesome outreaches, you know, sending, setting up uh, groups to mm-hmm. invite people to come in and just yeah. help with resumes and reach out and say, you know, if you if you're one of the 900 you know, I, I have positions, you know, reach out to me. Here's my number. I thought that was great because it, you know, it, yeah. it, 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 it was, it was a nice sort of recovery, you know, by the HR community, you know, in a, in a, in a situation where I don't even know if HR was asked to play and if they were, it was handled yeah. terribly, but I thought, I thought that part was cool. I think we're 
saw that with Zillow too, right? Like when Zillow said, that's it, we're done, and then just laid a bunch of people off. Like I, there were spreadsheets I saw on LinkedIn where they had put employee information. I'm assuming that somebody sourced that information and put it out there for people to like reach out to them. And yep. that was pretty cool. I love seeing those examples of our community being able to make a positive impact to those who need it. Like, I, I just, I think that's so great. So when you talk about the ghosts of Christmas present, like those are ghosts I'd like to see move into 2022 with us. <laughs> yeah. I never did, I never did define a, but like the theme of the show when I did the, you know, so I, you know, it's just the host show, but I thought we would touch on some of the pres, past, present, and future. So I did the ghost. And then we also, I said we would be sipping Tom and Jerry's, which we're not, unfortunately, but Dwayne had a question in the pre-show. So I want to go there for a second. And so Dwayne, do you want to venture a guess at what a Tom and Jerry might be? Or do you just want like an unveiling of what you're actually missing out on? Because I didn't actually send the recipe around right. ahead of time. Okay. So let me take a guess based on the name and then you can tell me the actual answer. So okay. when I think Tom and Jerry, I think of there's going to, there's two things that are at odds that are going to be in the same glass. So mm-hmm. I'm imagining something like, bourbon and uh um like what doesn't go with bourbon um god everything goes with bourbon. okay maybe not bourbon marshmallow cream <laughs> bourbon and marshmallow cream that's my guess <laughs> that sounds awesome well, uh, and, and and there's probably a marshmallow bourbon out there that i haven't seen but th- that that would be yeah, totally I was, wrong see, i was gonna say grape i was gonna say grape jelly but screwball is peanut butter bourbon and it actually goes really nicely together in a, in a peanut butter and jelly old-fashioned if you don't know, yes, I have I have had those. Yes. Yeah. So a Tom and Robin, Jerry, said, I can tell you. Yes. 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 Growing up in growing up in Wisconsin, this was the holiday drink. Um, I mean, I can as a little kid, I can remember like my grandparents would have like cocktail parties around Christmas, and it was all Tom and Jerry's all the time. And um, it's uh, it's like a warm think of like a glog. The grog, what, what's the grog, 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 it's a warm cocktail, Arr. and it is sort of this weird combo, and Wisconsin is very much a brandy drinking state, right, so the um, the Tom and Jerry is like brandy and rum, and you, you, and you kind of have this warm, and you warm that, or you put hot water in it to kind of have that warm, and then you make a batter. Or you can actually buy the batter. Like you go and pick up a big old tub in the frozen food section of Tom and Jerry batter. Um, or you can make your own. And you have this batter that's got like egg whites and vanilla and butter and powdered sugar and then like, you know, nutmegs and cloves and all this kind of stuff. And you make this batter. And so you take your warm brandy and rum, put that in your cup, toss a scoop or two of the batter and mix it up. And there's your Tom and Jerry. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that uh, I am okay. too lazy for all, all right. of this. Okay. Like, just yeah. give me, so, so here's, me, here's, and I'm happy. Here, here's the, um, here's the uh, Google de- definition, and it's a lot easier than Robin's recipe, which obviously is a regional specialty. So it's eggnog served warm with brandy no. and rum. No. Is, is what better. is what I'm defined a, as a Tom and Jerry stick with my, my marshmallow fluff bourbon at that point. That's I don't want <laughs> right. that in yeah. my face. Um, so yeah. Anyway, no, no, thank okay. you. Yeah. So, well, anyway, uh, that was 
I looked up traditional Christmas drinks, and that one popped up, and I had never heard of it either. So I thought, ah, well, I'll just use that one because I was trying to, besides the, Chris, the ghosts of 2021 past, present, and 2022 future, I was trying to come up with other Christmas things. I also said we would go a wassailing, and I had to look that up, although I guess that's just Christmas caroling. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we may sing a song before the out. show ends. Yeah. And I also so, said so remember is- oh, Go ahead. Yeah, going wassling just means begging for treats. If anybody doesn't know, it's, is that what it you is? Go so it's Halloween, song, at, Halloween at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, I'm just gonna say that looking. If you're looking for yeah. a Christmas drink, uh, let me highly recommend Coquitos. Uh, our friend yep. Victorio introduced us to those a couple of years ago. They're amazing. It's like a Puerto Rican eggnog. Highly recommend. Mm. There's a Coquito, uh, you can purchase like a growler of Coquitos at a local restaurant here in Lakeland where I live. And I was actually thinking about doing that this this uh, coming holiday week. So um, excellent. Well, anyway, Tom and Jerry, I also said that we would uh, uh, remember old Lang Syne, whoever they are, because I think that's just old, old times or whatever. Anyway, so we're not really actually well, doing any of that. Well, speaking of old times. Why don't we why don't yep. we take that to segue back into some HR if you're okay with that? Yep. Yep. Okay. So I'd like to revisit Basecamp and their little um CEO snafu earlier this year. <laughs> okay, was, you're gonna have to refresh my memory. I remember that something happened, but I don't remember the details. So for there our were listeners, some people that went there were some people that went camping. <laughs> Am I remembering they, a different story? Yeah. yeah, different different thing. Now, this was the guy that was like, hey, no more politics at work. Like, and I'm going to dissolve our, what is it, they dissolve the D&I group and yeah, um, their employee engagement committee. Yep. Yeah, it was basically like how to show your employees that you don't give a fucking 10 easy steps. Um, language. So, uh, sorry, language, we are not an after-dark show. <laughs> but, um, so... So, yeah, it's been fascinating. I don't know if you have watched him since then. Um, I'm never going to work at base camp, so I'm okay with saying this. Like, it's been watching. <laughs> it's really fascinating to watch his little PR campaign. Um, it's it's oh. totally like the, no, you guys, I'm I'm an evolved leader roadshow happening on LinkedIn. You should check it out. It Ugh. is awesome. Ugh. Well, and they it? lost, like, right, right when that happened. Because uh, you and Jen Tharp did two shows about it on Drive Three <laughs> because it was so fascinating, um, yeah. and that was and like right after he did all that, um, it was like what a third half of their employees, like almost immediately said, "I'm leaving." Some just quit on the spot. Some like just, "Hey, mm-hmm. I'm I'm on the market. I'm ready." I I wonder. I I I don't know, Crystal. Maybe you know whatever came to pass in terms of how many folks they lost or. What they I mean, I'm, I'm not like I'm not privy to that information. I thought I saw somewhere that they lost 55% of their employees overall. Wow. So, wow. But I, I can't verify that. So let me say that up front. But yeah, for anybody that is interested in this, this whole evolution of what he's done since, like his name is Jason F on, um, on LinkedIn, you can look him up. But what I thought was interesting is um, a few weeks ago, he caught my attention again, posting something about how, uh, like, four-day work weeks are good, but only if it's done, like, for a season, like, during the summer. And so they do it for during the summer, but just during the summer, because if it's longer than that, then it's actually 
not good for you. And this was in rebuttal to a different CEO who had posted like, hey, um, I think it was a CEO, but to another executive who had posted like, hey, read this article that I think was on Forbes or Business Insider or something like it that was explaining the neuroscience behind um, better, better productivity with shorter work weeks. And so, you know, my thing to Jason was like, well, Jason, if you, if you believe it helps you for two months, like, I'd like to understand why you think it stops helping you the other 10. Like, where, you know, I, I'd like to understand this. So he put out this open thing saying, like, if anybody wants to know about it, message, you know, like, let me know. I'd be happy to talk to anybody. So I was like, yeah, I'll buy it. I'll take you up on that. Let's talk. So he said, message me. And so I did. And then no response, which leads me to think that, you know, there's probably nothing of substance there. But, but regardless, so, so there was that. And then now the latest thing is explaining how they don't have meetings, they have heartbeats. So, they uh, have heartbeats? They have yeah. that heartbeats. That what you said? As to the rest of us who are just going through the days like zombies having our meetings. Yeah, we <laughs> rarely have meetings at base camp. Instead, we write a lot. Long form considered writing. No calendar synchronization needed. No worried about time zones. No pulling people off work to sit on a Zoom call. No breaking people's days into smaller bits. Heartbeats are among the best examples of how writing can replace meetings, and not just replace, but drastically outperform. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna pause right there for a minute and say like how many of us who have done any kinds of communications training, leadership training have learned words can be misunderstood, and you don't have crucial conversations just in writing. Writing is used as a yeah. reinforcement of the conversations that you have. See, I was just going to go with, I think I would last about 30 minutes before I would say, like, can you just tell me what it is you want me to know? Like, stop making me uh-huh. read. Don't make me do homework. Just tell me what you want. Just me? Okay. I, yeah, I, no, I'm still trying to figure out heartbeats. Um, <laughs> well, heartbeats are written by team leads at base camp roughly every six weeks and then published to a message board in a base camp project called What Works, then everyone in the company can see the project and can read every heartbeat that's only written by team leads. So so this is the business personification of Don Johnson's musical career. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he has a hit every six weeks? No, that's not right. No, he has a big um, song with heartbeats. That was Don Johnson's big hit. Oh, I now have okay. that song in my mind. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm. A, I'm a Sonny Crockett guy, and that's all I know, I guess. And whoever his other one was in San Francisco, the, the elder cop. Well, um, oh yeah. Well, essentially, so, what this part. Max Bridges. Yeah. So essentially, yeah. what this part does, like, because again, it's only written by a team lead. It's done every six weeks. Like, I look at this and go, okay, this cuts down on collaboration. It cuts down, like across departmental collaboration, it cuts down on um, innovation and empowerment. Like, I've got to imagine that their trust scores are just terribly low because all of this is built around one one voice being given at yeah. the level. So not only are we not going to communicate with each other verbally, we're not going to do meetings, we're only going to let team leads have this voice. I think it's published for base camp. You know, they, aren't, aren't the guys that created base camp, founded the company, haven't they written like a bunch of management books? Yeah, that's the Don't they? That's yeah, the yeah. So, 
so because like because like it, it, I don't know if your daughter still works for Amanda's company or not, but but I spent a little time yeah. with Amanda's company a few years back, and they 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 at the time they used Basecamp and loved the product, right? It was like the backbone of BTC. Um, and, and, and I think, that, you know, back then this guy was considered to be sort of a thought leader, uh, you know, about efficiency and, you know, organizations mm-hmm. and cultures and stuff. And it, it, you know, I don't know him and I haven't read any of his books or if I did, it's been a number of years. I may have read one. Um, it just sounds to me like he, he somehow fell off, you know, the, like, I don't know, like he, he became the smartest guy in the room or something, it, only he wasn't. <laughs> but he thinks he is maybe, you know, so I'm, I'm not going to work at base camp ever either. So it, it just, it just feels like he's become like, I know everything. And, and the way we do it is special and yada, 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 you know, and just um, I, 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 maybe not, maybe they're not as smart as they think they are. Can't imagine. That may not be it. Mm-hmm. You think they wrote books, <laughs> they're thought leaders. It could be, there may be ninjas lurking in the background. I don't know. <laughs> or monkeys with typewriters. Um, <laughs> hey, can I can I can I bring us to a more uh, more recent topic to touch on, like big stuff yeah. in the news? Um, yeah. The Kellogg strike has ended. That ended yesterday. Yeah. After after ten weeks, I think. Ten ten eleven weeks, yeah. And I didn't. I yeah. haven't seen specifically what the outcome of it was, but from what I what I've read, and this is an unconfirmed thing, is that they ended up settling for. I think it was they got a five percent cost of living raise and then they were all happy about that instead of three and a half percent even though inflation is like eight and a half nine percent so like it's still not keeping up with with inflation um but it's mm-hmm. it's it, it's more than what they were being offered and uh, frankly I, most of my career you know three percent has been kind of standard three to four percent so they're above mm-hmm. that they're still not keeping pace with everything else so i find it interesting that a like they were able to get something settled, but B, it still ended up in the company's favor after all that. So well, and I, I think there was also one of their other issues was around benefits, and I think that they settled in the the the, the union was happy with how that came settled out as that they yeah. didn't want they had like a two tiered benefit thing where like legacy um, quote legacy employees were at a, you know a certain uh, yeah. tier yeah, of benefits was, there was folks there after like 2015 or something. Yeah. yeah. There was two tier wages, two tier benefits. They worked an enormous amount of hours of overtime. They got some protections there. The irony is um, the, the contract they, they accepted Dwayne three weeks after they voted it down is essentially the, I mean, they rewrapped the, the numbers a little bit, but it's essentially uh-huh. the same package that they voted down three weeks ago. They just, uh, the company just, there's no signing bonus. There was a signing bonus. I think they put it into a, I think they took the signing bonus and rolled it into the wage, but essentially they, they could have settled for similar three weeks ago. So they'll never get some of that money back. There was also a, a, an email sent around by one of the site managers who basically laid out what I just said, saying, you know, three weeks of additional time on the picket line and no, no additional funds for the, for the, mm. for the employees. And that was that was leaked to the media. So they the the management team had a bit of a of a uh, bad moment, but they still managed to get it um, get it resolved. The the contract that actually did what you're talking about, Dwayne, which was exceeded um, 
the cost of living and really boosted wages is actually the John Deere contract, which ran for about five yeah. weeks and was signed a couple months ago. I think they got like 15% yeah. overall. But we're, we're definitely seeing a, uh, uh, not, only in, not only in union uh, negoti- contract negotiations, but just across the board. Hobby Lobby's going to 18.50 an hour. T-Mobile's going to 20. I mean, the, the great resignation, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, um, is definitely driving uh, wage increases, you know, uh, across yeah. the board at, at a much higher rate than 3%, especially in retail and service industry. I mean, it's just, uh, it's remarkable because to your point, my whole life, um, 3% was has been kind of the budget, you know, like literally my entire right. 35-year career, you know, uh, and and yeah. we're well beyond that now in this last year by, by necessity. Well, yeah, and it's it's great to see the numbers that are inching up towards $20 an hour or higher than that. Uh, just as a reminder for anybody who hasn't paid a lot of close attention, like this whole thing about $15 minimum wage um, or being mm-hmm. living wage, like that's something that Bernie Sanders was pushing six years ago. So yeah. $15 an hour is now, even that has fallen behind with the rate of inflation over six years. So, yeah. So the thing that I was yeah. thinking about, you know, and to that too, I just, um, I always like to raise my hand on those conversations because, of course, parts uh-huh. parts of the country and locations are all different, and it's you know it, it it always shocks people that live in certain other parts of the country when I tell them that here in in you know South Louisiana, quite often um, people people are still um, you know are still being hired fairly regularly at like 10 and $12 an hour. And that's considered yeah. that should be a good enough wage. Um, and, and anybody saying, Oh, what do you mean? I need, they need more than $12 an hour is, you know, Oh my God, socialism. Uh, so there's a lot of heck of a lot of people raising their families on a heck of a lot less than yeah. even the 15. So, I totally agree with that. One of the things that I thought was really interesting in, um, and again, in social media, right, because this is this is a big part of my job, so I watch it, um, <laughs> is, is um, the way that the, the younger workforce, the emerging workforce, is talking about leveling up and getting raises. And they've basically, uh, and it's not a surprise to anyone, right, you can, you can get more money by leaving a company and going to a mm-hmm. new company then you can stay oh, with your existing company and getting the cost of living raises, right? So yeah. there, <laughs> there's TikToks and Reels and stories about doing just that with younger people, um, millennials and, and people who have been in the workplace for less than 10 years, advising the emerging workforce to, to go into a job with the mindset of leaving the job as early as uh-huh. 10 months in. 10 months. Uh-huh. So, you know, like 10 months of experience. And again, not all of them are saying 10 months, but um, many yeah. of them. I've seen like less than a year, 10 months, nine months. I, I think I only saw nine months once. But um, saying like at that point you have enough experience that you know how to do the job so you can go somewhere else and get an 11 to 15% bump in your pay, uh-huh. Uh-huh. maybe more if you don't disclose what you made to begin with. And then there's uh-huh. other TikToks and reels and stories advising them to not share their salary and instead ask for what's the salary band for this role. 
I want that. Mm-hmm. So I think Goner, you know, very quickly we're going to be at a place where Goner the days where we can say, what's your salary as a recruiter and expect that we're going to get an answer because they're being taught coming out of the gate, don't answer that. You can mm-hmm. do more, you can do better, which also means we're going to have the upper culture game or we just won't be able to keep them. If money is the only thing that keeps someone, companies can't do 11% raises every year. But, but hasn't it always been right. the case that if you're just there for the money, like you're not likely to stay, right? Yeah. right? It's, it's how many jobs are out there, how many careers are out there that people are in solely for the money? Like mm-hmm. I know there's a few that like nobody enjoys cleaning out septic tanks, so they must make good money at it. Like I've known guys who worked in those conditions and they dealt with it because the money was that good. But that's an outlier. So if you were ever relying just on money to keep somebody around, probably not going to have a good time. But the money helps. What is it? There's a number um, where it's like a um, – uh, um, I'm drawing yeah, a complete blank. I can't believe it. more than X, your, your, yeah. your satisfaction level with your pay kind of – yeah. Yeah, there's a, a Kano diagram was the phrase I was looking for. Like, there's a point where, like, it no longer motivates you beyond a certain element. Like, you have to get to a certain place, and after that, the motivation falls off drastically by going higher. Yeah. 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 I'm glad we, I'm glad we um, all solved that. That made it easy. Great. Yes. Just pay people, right? Does Just pay them. You can go into the That's new year it. with a sense of accomplishment. So let's. We've got a little less than eight minutes left, um, to be precise, six minutes and twenty-five seconds. Uh, so let's talk about the new year. Um, let's talk about two things. What's one thing that's coming that we haven't talked about yet, and and what is one personal thing that's a goal or or a, an event that you're aspiring to for next year? I uh, I'll go first. I think one thing that's coming. Um, don't know when we'd have to get through this next, uh, you know, pandemic surge here. But one thing that's long overdue and that is coming is HR folks um, are going to are going to have to do a shift from almost two years of being reactive mm-hmm. um, and adjust themselves to be more proactive. Whether that be with, again, you know, comp and benefit planning or workforce strategy or whatever. Um, because every at most folks in HR, especially you look at small mid-sized businesses and people, departments of one and small HR teams, whatever, it's been 22 months of reacting to pandemic surges or new regulations or you know OSHA the ETS is it on is it off is it on is it off yeah and, mm-hmm. and it's it's just been reaction 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 out of out of necessity and. Um, everybody's going to hit a point where it's going to have to be, okay, we're not reacting anymore and, and get back into let's plan and strategize and chart our course for our company, our employees, whatever. So I, I, that's, that's going to come. There are some people already there, but there are a lot that are still in reactive mode and they're going to have to make that switch. That's, okay. that's a big shift I see for HR. Okay. Dwayne? So I, Oh, I want to jump in. Sorry. Oh, oh. That, sorry. All right, whatever. So I think the thing they're going to have to strategize about first, because this is, it's kind of already here, but I 
think we're going to see it get much more prominent in 2022 is employee burnout. So over the last two years, not like it didn't exist before the pandemic, but so many people are experiencing work realities where they are taking on multiple jobs, multiple roles, where the Mm -hmm. team isn't big enough to get everything done, you know, especially in healthcare, retail, and food service, um, there's there's just not enough to get everything done. And there's not enough money, there's not enough staff, there's not enough time, there's not enough patience. And so, yes, we see the resignations coming from that, but I think we're also going to see burnout much faster, even in new employees, if they're coming in the same industry, they're already burnt out when they got to you. So more of the same is just going to drive down your productivity and engagement. So we've got to strategize and plan around that. What's the positive thing? Oh, uh, yay, there's a TBA summit in March, and you should totally go get your tickets if you haven't already. As a board member, I feel like <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, okay, so so mine's not specifically just work-related, but it is absolutely going to impact workplaces. Um, I think the midterm elections that are coming at the end of 2022 are going to be the most divisive and ugly that we've seen uh, easily in our lifetime. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we're going to see rhetoric jacked up. I think that the behaviors we're seeing now from, from uh, energized parties will amplify. Um, and I think that it will absolutely have an impact in the workplace. So buckle up because I have a feeling that yeah. it is not going to be an easy or Q3 uh, or Q1. So uh, I'm, I'm legitimately worried for, for how that's going to play out. Um, well, you can feel good about in our workplace. It'll be fine. In ours, it'll probably be fine. Yes. For, for the society <laughs> in general. Yeah. Um, for the, well, I mean, you know, as someone who's been a card carrying Republican her whole life, like you, you've adapted more than most people to, to what has changed in the Republican party. Right. But not everybody yeah. has done that. Um, sorry, Mike, I want to wrap. So I leave you time. Um, positive no, thing. Cool. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe we'll learn more tolerance for each other. Maybe we'll find a way to all get together and see each other. And um, the, the oh, oh, I know what it is. No, no, I got it. The the new uh, vaccine that Walter Reed's uh, team has come up with that actually should be effective yeah. against all the COVID strains and SARS. That's going to hit the market. Um, that could change a lot of things as far as public health. And so I'm really excited about that. Okay, Mike. So, so from my world, so we're 90 seconds to wrap up. So from my world, a lot more continued. We talked a little bit about union stuff. Uh, union organizing is going to be on the rise next year. A um, lot, of, lot of stuff happening on the labor law and labor policy front. So that's, uh, that's going to be a big trend for next year as we, uh, as we move into the elections. And it's the last opportunity um, if they lose the majorities in the House and Senate, which haven't done a lot of good. It'll be the last time Democrats can push labor policies. So hang on for that next year. And I just hope to get to 2022, to be honest. That's my optimistic goal for this week because the rest of the, the rest of the thing, the thing is a shit show right now. So I'm just going to hold off days, on that. Mike, what, could, what, what could possibly go wrong in the next nine days? I said it. Exactly. I know. Um, so anyway, yeah, it was great to catch up with you guys. Happy holidays. Um, you want to sing a Christmas carol or are we just going to say goodbye? We could just say from all of us at Drive Through HR to everyone that listens to our show, we wish you a very happy holiday and a very safe, peaceful new year.
She doesn't I speak for everybody. Echo this I couldn't, couldn't have said it better. All right. <laughs> enjoy your holidays, all. I'm going to end the show. Take care. All right. Cheers, everyone.